we pause and we worship you. And Father, we ask that in this moment and in these next few moments, Lord, that you would send your Spirit. Lord, we beseech you that you would send your Holy Spirit, that we would encounter you. That the power of your cross, that the power of your resurrection would bring life into hopelessness, would bring joy and energy into places that have been dead. And Father, that your Spirit would be at work to change us and to renew us and to draw us into a relationship with you, that we might know your resurrection power in every moment. We pray this in your son's name, amen. Turn our attention to the book of Ezekiel this morning, Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel was a prophet of God. He is writing this around 600 BC, and the people of God, the Israelites, are in exile. That is, they have been conquered and they have been scattered throughout the Mediterranean region. And why? Because God had set them apart to be a people for himself, and he had given them everything. He had given them prosperity, he had given them a name, he had given them an identity, he had given them a nation as a national significance. And he said to them, he said, everything that you have, all that you are, all that you have, all that you can do, I am giving to you. And if you ever lose sight of me, if you ever turn from me, you will lose everything. And the people of God, not just once, but repeatedly, year after year, century after century, turned away from God, and God did what he said he would do. The Babylonians came in, conquered uh, the nation of Israel. They were exiled. That is, the people were taken. They were scattered. They were scattered throughout the Mediterranean. They had no hope, and they were in a hopeless situation. It is into this place of hopelessness that God enters in and brings life. He gives Ezekiel a vision of what he is going to do. And this is what happens to Ezekiel. Ezekiel writes, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around them, and behold, they were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. And he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, 
These bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open up your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open up your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. And God enters in to their hopelessness. In the 1950s, there was a book written entitled Man's Search for Meaning by a man by the name of Viktor Frankl, who was a medical doctor. This book has subsequently become regularly identified as one of the ten most influential books in America in the 20th century. Frankel was a medical doctor who was Jewish, and he was put in the death camps of World War II, and through many amazing circumstances, he ended up surviving. As all people were who were in the Holocaust and in the situation, he was dehumanized, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was exploited. He was in a hopeless situation where death was ever-present and death was imminent, And he observed, and it intrigued him as a medical doctor, the way that different people responded to the hopelessness of the situation in which they found themselves. And he observed that, generally speaking, people responded one of three ways. Many people responded by becoming, or some people responded by becoming wicked, just utterly wicked. They would do anything to survive. They betrayed their friends, some betrayed their families. They would become informers for the Nazis. They would exploit other people and exploit those who help them, and they just became wicked in their quest for survival. There were others, and it was a pretty regular occurrence, he accounts, who just gave up, that the intensity of it and the hopelessness of it would be overwhelming, and he said that there were many, some who would actually lay down on the ground and curl up in a ball and die, having completely lost any will to live. And then there was a third group of people, and there were people who responded heroically in a quiet way. They had tremendous courage and made remarkable sacrifices, many of them sacrificing themselves for other people and sacrificing their lives. And having observed this, he was struck, was wrestling with the question was, what was the difference? And what he concluded was the difference between these different groups of people in the same situation The reason why they responded differently was it depended on their source of hope. And most of them, he observed, had no hope that could stand up to death and no hope that could overcome death or the face of death. And we turn to this passage in Ezekiel where God brings Ezekiel and through him as a prophet, the people of God, into this place of death, into this place of utter hopelessness and utter despair. And he enters into this place, and what God does is that he not only enters into hopelessness, but he brings life to hopelessness and even brings life to the hopeless. Look at how it develops in this passage. God enters into our hopelessness. Ezekiel says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around them and among them, and there were many bones on the surface in the valley, of the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. 
So several things that immediately strike Ezekiel. He is put into this valley, an entire valley of bones. And not only is he put into this valley, but once he is there, it says that the Lord led him around among them as if it wasn't enough. And what Ezekiel experiences, he says, you know, I thought it was bad, but I had no idea that it was this bad because God brings them back and forth through the bones all over the place and all over the place in and through them. And Ezekiel gives a couple other observations. He's struck by the sheer magnitude of the bones. It says the valley was full of bones. There were very many of them. There was an abundance of these bones all over the place. And he says there were very many of them on the surface of the valley. What this means is that they are the remains of, the corp- of corpses for whom there was no proper burial. In ancient Hebrew, the ancient Hebrews had great concern for the body great concern for the burial of the dead. The human body was treated with respect, um, and the remains were treated, were, were treated very carefully. And so to have such a massive number of people to die exposed and uncovered with nobody to bury them was a picture, and this is a metaphor here, it's a vision, a picture of utter destruction, utter death, utter hopelessness, utter degradation, utter defeat. And not only is he overwhelmed by the hopelessness of the situation, but he identifies that he is surprised that the bones were very dry. They have been dead for a long time. This picture that God gives Ezekiel is an image of hopelessness. It's an image of death in all of its horror, intensity, and finality. And what the text tells us that this is actually a picture of the people of God. Verse 11 says, Behold, they said, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Well, why were they actually so hopeless? Well, they were in exile. They had been taken away from their land. They had been conquered as a nation. They were now living in this secular and pagan culture that was much bigger than they were. And they had been scattered. Their identity as the people of God had been swallowed up as the cult, by, the, by the larger culture. And they had people, friends, family members, who had been raised as worshipers of God who would abandon the faith and abandon the truth. This vision of death is no less shocking to us than it is to Ezekiel. I think we live in an age where we're surrounded by spiritual death. It's evidenced by the hatred and the violence and the vitriol that occurs from one person to another in our own community, in our world, much in our, in our, in our own community, in our world at large. I think it's evidenced by a widespread disregard for God. More than 80% of churches in America are plateaued or or declining. And not only is it surrounded by spiritual death, but this spiritual death gets manifested in physical death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. It gets manifested in physical death, in disease, and also through tragedy and through outright violence and aggression such as our own community recently experienced. And when we are faced with death whether it is the struggle and the brokenness and the anger, the violence that we sometimes encounter, or it is actual physical death, there is a significant part of us that rages against it, that rages against death, that when confronted with death and the death of a loved one or a tragedy, there is part of us that groans and aches. There is part of us that says, no, it shouldn't be like this. This is not okay. This is not the way it's supposed to work. And we react against that because we are people 
who have been created in the image of God. People who are created to live, created to have life and to flourish in life. And yet we find ourselves not infrequently in the place of hopelessness. And that's exactly where God puts Ezekiel. He takes him to this place and God meets him there. And he enters into this hopelessness and our hopelessness. Are you in a place of hopelessness in your life right now? Have you been in a place of hopelessness in your own spiritual journey where it felt like darkness was your closest friend, as the psalmist says? Where there was no one for you, no one to support you, and it felt as if all hope has gone. That is a place where God enters in and where God meets you. In the place of hopelessness. And it is in the place of hopelessness that God brings life. And he actually brings life and gives life to hopelessness. Look at what happens next. He's a valley, Ezekiel is in this valley. And he takes him and he says to Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? It's a ridiculous question. Death is death, is it not? Dry bones are dry bones. These bones are so dry that the vultures have stopped circling overhead and have stopped foraging. Can these bones live? It's absurd. But it is a penetrating question. It is a penetrating question because it is the question that I myself ask when faced with hopelessness. That when I look at death, when I look at dysfunction, when I look at hard-heartedness, the questions that I ask is, Lord, can, can these bones live? Lord, is there any hope for this situation? When I encounter marriages where people have been hurting each other for years, and marriages where people have been hardening themselves for years, the question I ask is, oh Lord, can, can these bones live? When there are children who are estranged from their parents or parents from their children, and there have been, these wounds have been festering for decades, and you look at this and say, how can anything be revived in this situation? Can these bones live? When we encounter loved ones who no longer remember the God that they disregarded, the God that they disregarded, and I look at this and say, is there any hope? Oh Lord, can these bones live? When I have friends who are embroiled in bitterness and embroiled in self-pity, when I look at a community that is unaware of their spiritual peril because they are secure and successful, oh Lord, can these bones live? And everything within me says no. No. Why bother? But when God asks the question, he introduces possibility to the contrary. He introduces a possibility to the contrary by God asking, saying, Son of man, can these bones live? An absurd question suddenly becomes a real question. And so Ezekiel responds. He says, O Lord God, you know. O Lord God, you know. Ezekiel casts himself on the will and the power and the love of God, God Almighty. He stands in that moment before God with him asking him the question. He stands in that moment humbly. He stands soberly. He stands expectantly before God Almighty. Son of man, can these bones live? O Lord, you know. 
for I make no presumption. Who am I to counsel God Almighty? Who am I that I should say, that I should tell God Almighty what he should do or should not do? Oh, Lord God, you know. I believe it's a response of complete trust in a sovereign and holy and loving God. But God is not satisfied with that as an answer. Instead, what God does to him is he demands that Ezekiel become personally involved in the solution. So what God does is he says, he brings Ezekiel to this place, and he says to Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? He passes the ball to Ezekiel. Ezekiel says, oh Lord, you God know. He passes the ball back to God. God's not satisfied with that, and God passes the ball back to Ezekiel, demanding that he be involved in bringing about the solution. So here's what he does. He says to him, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel does the absurd. He goes to these dead bones, and he prophesies to these dead bones, and he, because, and, he, and he does the absurd what God tells him to do. It's a remarkable response because, you know, oftentimes I think, when does speaking actually do any good? When does speaking actually change anything? But Ezekiel does the absurd, and he begins preaching to dry bones as if they're a living audience, and here's what happens. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and I prophesied there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together. Imagine this, an entire valley filled with many bones, and the bones came together, the bones are rattling, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. And these things come together. You know, there are opportunities that I have in my life, opportunities that I have to speak life, to speak the good news of Jesus Christ, opportunities that I have to speak the Word of God, and I think, why bother? Why talk to this person? It's not going to do any good. This person is never going to change. This situation is, this situation is too hopeless. And, and what are my words going to do? It's just going to be a waste of breath. It's just going to be a wasted effort. Why bother? But our words are actually powerful. Words in and of themselves actually affect change. When I'm performing a wedding ceremony and the bride says, I do, and the groom says, I do, and after they both say, I do, I say, I now declare that you are husband and wife. And there is this amazing thing that happens. A moment before, they were not married, and then I say some words, I proclaim, declare that you're husband and wife, and now they are married. Within like three seconds, they went from a legal status of not being married to a legal status of being married. How? Because of words that are spoken. And God has appointed that the proclamation of his word actually reverses the process of spiritual decay. It actually reverses it and begins to bring life where bones come together, where sinews come upon them, flesh comes upon the sinews, skin comes upon the flesh, and it is reversed. But there is something else needed because notice what happens. Ezekiel is speaking the word of God. He is proclaiming the word of God even as God told him to to do. And they came together and and the bones came upon bones and sinews on them and flesh had come on them and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. You see, there is something else needed than our action. 
There is something else needed than us simply speaking words and giving words. And it tells us what it is. Verse 8, verse 9, he says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they, that they may live. The breath is the Spirit of God. And so look what God's doing. God is commanding Ezekiel to say to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, which is the Spirit of God. Ezekiel, prophesy to the Spirit of God and say to the Spirit of God, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, come from every direction, let no surface be untouched, come from every place, cover, bring life, let no surface be unchanged by you, breathe, Spirit of God, breathe on these slain that they may live. And he goes on to say, so I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them and they lived and they stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Do you see the, the, the pattern that God has laid out here, what God does through Ezekiel? God commands his people, his preachers, his people, God commands his people to speak the word of God, the word that will give life. But that is not sufficient in itself. That is one part that is necessary is for the people of God, where people of God who God puts into hopeless situations, that the people of God would speak the word of life, but something else is necessary. They need to speak the word of life and beseech the Spirit of God and beseech the Spirit of God to come in and to give life and to give breath. And in this amazing, remarkable, mysterious way, God not only enters into our hopelessness, but he brings life to hopelessness. How? By the people of God, speaking the word of God, speaking the good news of Jesus, beseeching the spirit of God, these two things coming together, and God takes those things, and he makes the spiritually dead, and he brings them alive. What situations of hopelessness has God put you in? What situations of hopelessness has God put you in? that you would be there to be the one that God has called and placed there to speak words of life, but it's not just about you. Something else is necessary to bring the Spirit of God, to join those two things together to bring about making people alive. But maybe you hear this, and you're thinking through this, and you're saying, okay, yet God enters into, he enters into hopelessness. God, God brings life to hopelessness. God brings life to dry to dry bones. He brings life in situations. But I'm not so much concerned about those bones. I'm concerned, I, I'm, I'm concerned about these bones. I'm concerned about, about these bones because I feel dry. I, I, feel, I feel broken. I feel that within me, I feel, I feel hopeless. And I believe in this passage the place that we need to begin with is not by identifying with Ezekiel, but, by, but to begin by identifying with the people that Ezekiel is prophesying to, namely the dry bones. For the text himself says that we are the dry bones. And so this is what God says to him. He says, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and, you shall, and raise you up from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, 
and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. How does God's Spirit bring life, not just to those bones, but to, but to these bones? It's actually in the exact same way. But it begins by professing that you are the dry bones. It begins by acknowledging that you're not Ezekiel, but that you are the dry bones, that you are the one that is saying, I am, I am cut off, that I have broken relationship with God, I have turned away from him, I've gone my own way, I've done my own things, I have been cut off from him, I've been cut off from hope, cut off from a future, cut off from God who is the only source of love, and because of that I stand under his judgment. And this vision of this valley of dry bones is what God actually would say happens when his judgment comes upon his people, that they would be scattered and no one would be around to bury them. And so it begins by professing that you are the dry bones. To confess to God, God, can these bones live? Because within me, I don't have any hope. Can these bones live? Because right now, I feel dried up. Right now, I'm, I'm exposed. And what Ezekiel is calling the people then and us to do is to cast yourself on the power of the living God, to cast yourself on the love of God Almighty. To come before him and to acknowledge that, yes, I am the one who has dried up. And, Lord, I stand before you. I stand before you in this moment humbly, soberly, and expectantly. And I stand before you and I say, Lord, can these bones live? For I make no presumption. I make no presumption to say that what God should do or should not do. Who am I to counsel God Almighty? But the one thing that I do know is that the only hope that I have is to entrust myself to a sovereign and holy and loving God. And so it begins by professing your condition of acknowledging that you are the dry bones who have been cut off from him. And the next thing that is necessary is to hear the word of God to actually hear God's word, to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, which is revealed through Scripture. You actually have to hear this message because God has made a way for life to come into death. He has made a way for the curse of death to be lifted, for dry bones to become alive, for the Spirit of God to take up residence in you. And he has made a way through Jesus Christ, God's Son, fully God, fully man, who entered into our hopelessness, who entered into death for us. And Scripture says that he took the curse that was due to us. He took it on the cross through his death on the cross. And indeed, in Isaiah, when it talks about the work that Christ would do, it says that he was cut off from the land of the living, that he was cut off from God Almighty, That on the cross when Jesus died, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he cried that out because he had been cut off. Jesus Christ, who had existed eternally before the foundation of the world, united to this heavenly Father, that there on the cross, he was cut off from him, taking the curse of God in place for you and for me. And so you need to hear this message and not simply just hear this message But hear what happens next, because as Jesus was cut off on the cross, he did not stay there, but he broke death, and he broke the 
the hopelessness of this world by rising from the grave because death could not hold him. And if he, and Scripture promises that if he breathes his life in you, then you will be raised from the dead too. And he will breathe new life into you now and the process of spiritual decay will be reversed. And one day there will be a physical resurrection. You need to hear this message. You need to profess that you're the dry bones. Hear this message and believe it. And believe it. Believe in the historical bodily resurrection, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. If you want to examine it, there is a lot of evidence for it if you're willing to consider it. But to believe it means not just to believe in the facts. But you need to believe this is true for me and to, and to profess to him, I am the dry bones, I am the one who has been cut off, but I believe in Jesus Christ as the one who took my place, who was cut off for me, who took the curse I deserve, and he rose to new life, that in him there would be new life in me. You have to profess it. You have to hear it. You have to believe it. And... You have to receive the Spirit of God. And God's Word tells us later in the New Testament that when you turn and put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you believe in Jesus Christ as He is the one who has been your substitute, the Holy Spirit comes in to your life. The Holy Spirit enters in and begins this a spiritual resurrection within you. Shortly after the resurrection, When Jesus was talking to his disciples, they were gathered together in the upper room. He appeared to them, and he spoke to them, and then the verse says in verse 22, he spoke to them, and he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's kind of odd. They're gathered together, and he spoke to them. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What is that? That's Ezekiel. That's the prophecy of Ezekiel coming true, of Jesus saying, I am the resurrection. I am the source of life. I am the one who gives life and who revives life. And God declares that when you believe in Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit comes to you and a spiritual resurrection begins. How do we know this? Well, first and foremost, because his word tells us. But not only does his word tell us, but what his word tells us actually came true, because After this vision of Ezekiel, a day came when the vision of Ezekiel became a reality. There was a spiritual resurrection in the nation of Israel. For those who were scattered about, there was widespread repentance. People returned to the Lord, and God raised them back up in a relationship with him, and he gathered them back in and brought them back to the land of Israel. But do you know what happened? They all died. Because Ezekiel in this was pointing forward to a greater resurrection. A greater resurrection than simply gathering people together. He was pointing forward to a greater resurrection, which was the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Which actually is a foretaste of an even bigger resurrection. Because when people profess that they are the dry bones, when they hear the word of God, when they believe in the gospel and receive the Holy Spirit, life comes in you and begins to work. And it's not just in one person, but it's in any person who would believe this. And this process of spiritual decay gets reversed. And the Holy Spirit begins a spiritual resurrection. And as the Holy Spirit indwelling in you actually guarantees a physical resurrection when Christ returns. It's why the Apostle Paul says that for Christians today, 
when you are faced with tragedy, when you are surrounded by death, spiritual death, physical death, tragedy, how do we respond? Paul says the way that we are to respond is that we are to groan. We're, we groan when we're faced with death. But we groan with hope because a greater resurrection has begun. And we groan as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies and the restoration of all things. As we wait eagerly when God himself will wipe away every tear from your eye and there will be no more mourning or crying or pain or suffering anymore for the former things have passed away. That day is yet to come. So we live in this moment between a spiritual resurrection, what God does in us, and a physical resurrection that is to come in its fullness as demonstrated by Jesus Christ. So what do we do? What do we do right now in this moment? What do we do when we're surrounded by hopelessness? What we do is we cry out, and we cry out to hear the Word of God and to beseech the Spirit of God to breathe life into these bones. And when we're in situations of hopelessness that God has put us in, what we do is we speak the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We speak the words of life, and we beseech the Spirit of God to breathe and the Spirit of God to give life to our hopelessness. And we live in the certain reality of a greater resurrection that will come because Jesus Christ has been resurrected from the grave. So what do you do? You cry out. You cry out for the Spirit of God. You beseech the Spirit of God, and you live in this moment in the reality and the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, some of us come before you as dry bones. Many of us do. Others of us come before you, Lord, surrounded by hopelessness. Some of us come before you trying to make sense of confusion and chaos in our life and say, how on earth could this be possible? This isn't the way that it's supposed to be. But you, Lord, your resurrection from the grave says you're right. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And in you, Lord, there is a resurrection. There is a resurrection that we celebrate, not only your resurrection from the grave, but because your resurrection from the grave is a foretaste of a greater resurrection as people put their faith in Christ, and that is a foretaste of an even greater resurrection when there will be a physical resurrection and this world will be made new. But until that day comes, Lord, fill us with hope. Fill us with confidence. Fill us with yearning to seek your word and beseech your spirit that you, Lord, would give life through the resurrected and living Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.